Sorry about not chanting those last three with you. I always feel a little odd doing it because I'm not necessarily keeping them, although it would be nice to maybe cross my fingers and do it with you. <laughs> maybe I'll do that next time. <laughs> so tonight I, I want to look at another um, area of perception. And, and this is um, uh, how the mind uh, generates ideas, notions, views, opinions, this sort of one-sided perspectives, how it constructs certain biases in, in the mind. And uh, this is a very interesting area of practice. You know, the views are, are, are being born constantly out of the thoughts we have about the things that we contact. So, you know, we've all seen this. There's a, the moment of contact carries with it a feeling tone of pleasure and pain or neither. And, and um, that sort of manifests in the mind. The mind just moves a slight distance with that and quickly that experience of pleasure and pain becomes the likes and the dislikes of the mind. And these are the, the basis, the foundation, if you will, for the, the views that get constructed right there in that moment. It's kind of based on these likes and dislikes. Uh, and, and then what happens is we extend those views to uh, extrapolate sort of value-laden perspectives, value-laden uh, opinions about the way things are, about the way people are, about the way we are, <laughs> all of it. Uh, and, and then uh, that gets to be the dominant feature of the experience. We end up sort of living in the view instead of the thing from which it's uh, actually proceeding. And this is all happening at lightning fast speed, so it's very difficult to see it. So one can easily miss it, let alone uh, um, you know, get some insight into it. Usually we're just kind of going along for the ride. And so herein lies some of the, the difficulties with it. Uh, you know, when, when we move away from the raw or the direct experience, um, it, just in that little movement of the mind, we're moving into the world of fabrications, in the world of constructions, in the world of ideas about reality and, and away from the experience that actually precipitates this. And over time, and it doesn't take very long, this happens very quickly, then these ideas or, or views become the dominant feature of the way that we're relating and actually become, the, uh, in the mind, they become, uh, uh, one easily thinks that this is actually what's happening. And that it's, it's not uh, the, the uh, object that precipitated the view. The view becomes much more the reality. Uh, it becomes greater and dominates more than the experience itself. And, and this is where we live. Really, if you look at, I don't know about you, but I certainly have seen this in my own mind. And uh, I'm, I'm always moved by that uh, expression of living a short distance from ourselves. You know, it, it, that, that seems to characterize this uh, very fully uh, for, for us. So that's a danger. And, and, uh, but the real danger, I find, runs e- even uh, deeper. And that is that the views and, and ideas and notions about things are necessarily dancing or dwelling in superficial layers of the mind. They're being born out of likes and dislikes and notions and ideas. And as such, I don't know about you, but I sort of feel it. It's like it's going on up here, you know. There's this superficial surface layer of the mind and where, where uh, views are being formed and bantered and battled one with the other and uh, one one can easily get sucked into that. It's like, uh, the, you know, the, the experience is being um, 
pulled in, uh, almost like into a vortex, when this uh, uh, habit of the mind or patterning of the mind uh, dominates the, the way that we're relating. And the thing is, it's, it's necessarily a superficial existence. It's necessarily a superficial reality because it is that surface layer of, uh, of the mind. And, but we get so entrenched in these surface layers that um, we, we literally cut off the opportunity to connect with, to, to see, let alone actually connect with and feel the, uh, uh, the deeper uh, reality of the moment. And so, you know, perhaps you've met people who've been uh, so entrenched in their views that they can't see any other way. Uh, they can't see another way of being. Or maybe, maybe you've seen that you can be that way yourself. <laughs> you know, we, we all get caught in things to this extent. And when, when we hold the, our views um, very tightly like this, we suffer a lot. Because you may have noticed, but the, the world doesn't accommodate <laughs> to our views. <laughs> it, it, you know, and so if, if we're constructing it in a way that our happiness depends on things going according to that view, you can see the dilemma here. You know, you're necessarily setting up um, some uh, forms of suffering because we're going to be out of sorts and the mind, you, you may have seen, it, it tends to whine <laughs> and complain and go on about things being uh, going in a way uh, opposite to the way we would like to. So, you know, one can easily come away thinking that the world is wrong uh, and that the world and the people in it need to change in order to, uh, for us to end our suffering. I actually had a thought uh, a number of years ago, you know, it was back in my 30s, really, uh, to some extent before Buddhism, although I was starting to dabble in it. But uh, uh, I know I went through a period, maybe some of you did too as well, where, you know, in your 30s you start to really wake up to how neurotic you really are, you know, <laughs> and then, and then you, you start to uh, blame uh, all the people in your life who made you that way. You know, it was my parents' fault. It was my second-grade teacher. You know, it was the, the nuns at the, the Catholic school. And just really trying to, uh, you know, find uh, uh, an object to, to blame. And I actually had the thought that, you know, if, if, if everybody just would have had their act together, I wouldn't be this way. You know, it's, it's their fault. They made me the way that I am. And it's amazing, but, you know, one can do that. And you know, I went through a terrible period there with my parents, just uh, um, trying to work it out, you know. And as, as parents yourselves, some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, this it all comes to a head somewhere along the line. But it's interesting because with that kind of thinking, you never really get to the root of the suffering. You know, because it's all in these superficial layers of the mind. It's, it has to do with our own attachments, our own ignorance, our own inability to see what our minds are, are doing. And, and the, the truth of the matter is we're often too busy battling with conditions, things that are going on inside us, things that are going on outside of us, um, uh, to, to really pick this apart and be able to see through it, to, to penetrate what's actually going on here. And, and so, so much of our suffering proceeds from right there. Man, this is where a lot of the action is, isn't it? You know, those of you who have been looking in this way. So I, I don't know about you, but I, I found it to be a very painful area of my life, you know, 
because right here at the formation of views and ideas and opinions and the attachment to those, right there is the lion's share of the papancha, you know, the proliferation in my mind. That's right where it's, it's getting born and, and proceeding from that. Uh, uh, never mind the discontent. You know, there's a tremendous amount of discontent born out of attachment to views. You know, when you have a lot of views about how things should be, <laughs> and they, they are rarely going to go that way, you can see it's a, it's, a, it's a prescription for our unhappiness. You know, one is always grumbling and groaning and wanting things to be some other way. But fortunately, it's a very rich area for practice as well. And so, uh, you know, the way I see it, our, our practice uh, as Buddhist practitioners really is to, to highlight this activity of mind, to become familiar with it, to see that the mind is doing this. It's, it's constructing reality out of the formation of views and ideas and then living in that reality. And, and see, see how easily we get caught up in that. As I said, it can feel like a vortex sometimes. It just sucks us in uh, and, and how um, highly conditioned um, that habit can be. No matter, sometimes I've actually watched myself, you know, noticing that, that uh, tendency to get caught up, making a firm determination not to caught, get caught up, and in the very next moment doing it, you know, it's like, whoa, what is this? You know, I can't, uh, I don't seem to have uh, the capacity to bear up against the, the force of the habit of the mind. So we want to uh, highlight it and, and see how easily we can get caught up and, and see and feel the consequences of doing that. I, I think w- one of the ways where we misunderstand practice, you know, so many uh, times we think it, it's, it's about deciding what's the right way to be and making the effort to become that. And, and what if it's not that? You know, what if it's about seeing what's actually happening here, feeling the, the, the pain or the pleasure of, of being one way or another and letting that, uh, letting the shift in behaviors, the shift in patterns and habits proceed from that direct experience. So see and feel the, the consequences of, of being caught up in this way. You know, from where I sit, just listening to people talk about their practice as they're uh, practicing here at the Forest Refuge, uh, this is a lot of what's going on here, is, is looking at these, uh, these patterns and the consequences of, of being caught. But, and also don't forget, the uh, final aspect of practice in this regard is to notice how great it feels when you don't get pulled into a view. When, when you actually see that you're forming a view about somebody or something and you see it so clearly and you have the wherewithal to go, ooh, I see you, <laughs> and, and not to be pulled into that. You know, you were about to suffer big time and you didn't do it, you know. This is very important to, to feel that, to notice those kinds of moments. So, in, in other words, we, we just have to discover for ourselves, you know, where we want to be. What's it like to be constantly constructing ideas about the world and living in those ideas? And what's it like to be free of that? You know, it, it, this is a lot of practice. Look at this, look at this, 
Look at this, look at this. Feel this, feel this. You know, this mind isn't stupid. (laughs) It gets it if we can get a good clean hit of uh, the experience, the direct experience of, of what we're doing to ourselves. So what I, what I have for us tonight is just some practice stories. Um, I find it very helpful to reflect on my own practice, practice of other people, and look at the ways that we um, unravel all of this for ourselves. And um, I just want to zero in on some of the, the trouble spots, if you will, or the, the places where we, the attachment tends to be the greatest. And, these have to do with attachment to social and political views, uh, attachment to uh, the views that we have about one another. <laughs> deadly, <laughs> deadly one. Uh, and even more deadly in many ways, the, the views that we have about ourselves, uh, how these get constructed and what it's like to, to live in those views versus the reality of the way that we actually are. So I, I find these areas are, are, are the most practical because they're everyday occurrences. They're moment to moment. I mean, if you're watching your mind here, if you're not, not uh, in a blissful state of samadhi, you're probably in, in one form or another of this kind of attachment. So there's no shortage of areas or, or examples to look at in the political arena. You know, we certainly have a very uh, politically polarized uh, government in this country, but I dare say those of you from other countries uh, know that it's it's true elsewhere. You know, um, because uh, each side is so caught in their views and caught in clinging to those views. And, and that, with the help of the news media, you know, which kind of feeds the sensational aspects of this yeah, and, and keeps reporting on it, uh, uh, endlessly, you know, where things, it, it doesn't take much to look and see that things seem to be getting further and further away from um, the, the way the system's supposed to operate. You know, mutual respect, uh, appreciation, uh, mature debate, this kind of thing. And, you know, I don't know about you, but it scares me. You know, it, I, I find myself... Um, getting nervous about uh, uh, how out of control it seems to be getting. And I found a sutta in the Sutta Nipata where the Buddha just goes right to this and to me he nails it. You know, he, he says this, Excellent, says the person immersed in views, making out that his are the best in the world. Inferior is every uh, everything other than this. <laughs> he has uh, clearly not arisen above disputes. When he sees advantage for himself, he seizes upon and grasps hold of that. He sees everything else as inferior. This is what the skillful call a fetter. This is what the skillful call a fetter. It's it's an apt description, isn't it, of of what's going on uh, on these uh, these levels. And and one can feel quite helpless uh, in the face of it. And if we watch the political news meditatively, by, by that I mean with an eye to seeing attachment to the views and the harm that's proceeding from that, you know, it can be sickening. And, and actually I've made some, I've done some exercises just to 
literally um, try to practice that with that by going to the news channel that has the opposite slant or spin on things than what my political views are, you know, and just try to watch it for a while <laughs> and, and watch how quickly the hands go on the hip, you know, and the, and the you know, the back goes straight and uh, how indignant we can become so quickly and um, uh, ridicule and persecute the, the, the people that have different views, you know, it's quite amazing to see it. And, uh, you know, for myself, uh, just realizing how flawed the whole thing is, it, something's, something's got to give here. It's all so full of attachment. And, uh, you know, you begin to wonder if any good can come from it uh, at all without a complete overhaul of the uh, structures of it. I don't, I don't know about you. I mean, these are just my perspectives. But, um, you know, I've certainly reached points in my life where I, I just want to wash my hands of the whole mess, you know. I just want to stop watching the news and stop being so concerned about it. And, um, you know, I, I even get, get into my, you know, I'm an old lady bit, you know. It's like 65, that's it. You've done your bit, you know. You, you can leave it for the 20 and 30-somethings. It's their turn, you know. And and just kind of um, move into uh, a life of spiritual practice. You know, I like the way the, the Hindu uh, phases of life are laid out, where clearly um, at some point in one's life it's actually appropriate and considered quite skillful and encouraged that one... Uh, moves beyond uh, entanglement at certain social and political levels and goes off to the monasteries or to the retreat centers and engages uh, in spiritual practice, uh, living out one's years in that way. I certainly think about that uh, a lot. And uh, I can't say it's clear enough to have made a firm decision. Uh, but the thing is still cooking, you know? It's, it's like one doesn't want to just abandon it all. It doesn't feel like a a remedy to me. It doesn't feel entirely like the right thing to do. And so uh, maybe just letting it cook a little bit longer and come to some uh, point, some decisions at some time in the future. But in, in the meantime, what I've been trying to do is just recognize that it's very easy for me to point to those political parties and those pundits and those people out there and uh, say that they're the ones who are stuck in their views, you know. And, and uh, yet, what I've, so what I've been trying to do is just turn that around and say, okay, wait a minute, you know, look at your own life and look at how you're doing the same thing how high the stakes can seem sometime and how one can, can so easily get pulled into that vortex. And, and I've really tried to um, pull, it, pull it very close to home. And, and this has been, uh, there's no shortage of opportunities for me for this because uh, I live in the South. <laughs> and and uh, um, I've been surprised uh, living in this uh, neighborhood that I've been living in in the last uh, six years or so to see that, um, particularly like around election time when I'm driving down the street and I see all the political campaign posters on people's lawns and uh, I'm like, like ah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who are these people? They're my neighbors, you know? And, and just kind of paying attention to the fact that, whoa, what am I saying here, you know? 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing people off because of their political views. Very interesting. Okay. And then, then I go to the pool every morning. My exercise is swimming. And we do water aerobics and we swim our laps. And uh, I go very early. And there's a whole group of people who go around the same time as I go. And, it, you know, it, it didn't take long for me to realize, because they're very vocal, that they all had very conservative political views, you know, very different than my own. And I guess they assumed that I had the same views, I don't know, you know, but they certainly weren't shy about expressing them. And so I found myself first off going, you know, I need to swim at another time, you know, <laughs> surely there's another time where this isn't the dominant feature of the, of the conversation, you know. And, and then I caught myself, because I, I keep my antenna out for that voice, you know. I call it my adolescent mind. It's, it's like, I don't like you, you know, I'm not going to hang out with you, you know. <laughs> that one, <laughs> you, may, you may have that one yourselves, I don't know. But it's, it's so juvenile, you know. I don't want to give in to that particular voice. So I would ask myself, well, what are you doing here? You know, what are you doing? You know, are, are you going to turn away from these people because of their views? Yeah. You, are, aren't you doing the same thing? Let's, let's uh, you know, forget about the big global picture. You, you know, look at what's going on in the pool at 6.30 in the morning, you know. What's happening in your heart? And uh, don't miss this. This is practice. This is the opportunity for practice here. And so I, I, I really, uh, over the years, I've really worked on not doing that. Not uh, like I would uh, want to turn away. I would want to uh, criticize and uh, feel indignant and self-righteous and uh, think them silly or foolish. You know, all these kinds of things coming up in my mind. And, you know, and, and every time they went on about the, the president or affordable health care or the defense of marriage or, you know, this certain conservative political pundit who they all adored and hung on every word, you know, it, I, I would just like, <sighs> and bite my tongue and try to find the place of balance in those moments, you know, just, to, there's, it's got to be, it's, it's like, it's in here somewhere, <laughs> you know, I've got to find it, because I don't want to put these people out of my heart, my heart, because they think differently than me. And, and um, you know, I also understood that if I battled it, that, ooh, you know, that's, that's bad relations, bad neighborhood relations going on here. And you don't, you don't battle one entrenched view with another entrenched view, you know. And, and so I just began to stand back and uh, try to find other ways to approach all of this. And part of it was just looking and seeing all of them. You know, what happens when we attach to views is we take a piece of somebody we take an idea that they have. It's not even a piece of them. It's just an idea that they have and make a person out of that and start relating to that. And, and so I just deliberately just would pan back and see who else they were. You know, what else were they like? 
And they're, they're beautiful people. They're all looking out for each other. This one's sick. They all bring in food. This one needs, to, needs a ride here. They're all doing, jumping in on that. There's a fun drive or a food drive. They're all uh, gathering things for the people in the neighborhood or outside the neighborhood. And I, I, I thought, you know, these are good people. <laughs> you know, I, I want to learn to be with them for the good people that they are and lose these crazy ideas I have that they, they have to hold the same views as I have. You know, what is that? It's nuts, isn't it? it and it's, there's so much pain and suffering proceeding from that uh, kind of perspective. You know, but I, don't, I didn't want to completely give in either. <laughs> you know, so I would remind them when they went on about things that, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, we all don't think that way. <laughs> and be considerate. Remember, yeah, little Gloria here, you know, <laughs> she doesn't think like that. <laughs> and you don't want to pounce on me, do you? And, uh, and over time, it, it not only brought laughter and a lightness to the conversation, I actually had occasion uh, where uh, somebody would come to my defense or protect me or buffer me in one way or another. When, when somebody was being particularly vehement about an issue, you know, this gal would, would come in and go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, not everybody feels that way, you know. <laughs> and I thought, this is great. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're learning to live together in harmony. It's a simple thing. It's a little thing. But for me, it's been huge. It's been huge because uh, I haven't lived there before. I've been very political in my life and very uh, entrenched in, in one-sided perspectives. And one wants to open this up, you know, one wants to see things in a different way. So, you know, uh, I, I would ask myself uh, and ask them, you know, do we want our views to come between our friendship? You know? Simple question, and just uh, contemplate that. So the, the views are okay. You know, it's okay. We can live with each other having different views. It's the attachment that creates the difficulty. So slowly our, our conversations have, have become increasingly more neutral. And, you know, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad to report that I think we're doing pretty good. And it, and it is an active thing. And, and so much so, actually, that last week I got an email from one who said that, uh, she said, oh, I saw that on PBS there's this show on Buddhism on. And she said, um, I'm going to make sure I watch it because I want to learn about what you do. And um, do you want me to record it for you? <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote back and told her, well, no, I've seen that one, actually, but it's great, watch it, I'm so glad. And I, I don't know if that touched you, but I was so moved by that. And I thought, you know, this is a reaching out. This is a, an effort to build bridges, and uh, that uh, that's holds the key for a lot of us. So maybe one day we'll even listen to each other and try to understand why we have these views, but uh, this is good enough for now. <laughs> so then the, there's views that we hold um, about the people in our lives, uh, about the people who are most dear to us. This is, this is a very interesting area of practice. 
Uh, and these play a very significant role in the way that we relate to one another, in our friendships and in our family relationships. And, and they easily condition the way that we think about the people in our lives, the, the ones who are closest to us. And, and it's very easy to have images of people. I was just with my family this weekend and I was watching myself do this. You know, I have an idea about certain sisters and the way that they are. And, and watch myself relating through that. You know, picking that up and seeing them through that lens in a way. And uh, what happens over time, if we're not alert to that, is that the image actually literally replaces the person. You fail to see the person in any kind of a, a raw way. And this can get very, very entrenched and uh, with, with high risks uh, attached to it. So the, the thing is, in, in every um, family or intimate relationship, we, we have to come to grips with the fact that other people don't see things the way that we see them, and don't do things the, the way that we do them. And this doesn't make them wrong. It doesn't make our, our way right and, and theirs wrong. And um, the discord in family relationships it isn't so much the, the outcome of having different views. We have to remember it's about the fact that we're so entrenched in those views. It's the attachment to the views. You know, I can remember talking to a woman who was near divorce years ago because her husband had such different views than her. And, and, we, and to her credit, we really talked about it a lot and made this distinction between uh, having different views and being attached to those views. And uh, it was interesting, it was fabulous to see her come to some understanding. And, you know, I remember telling her that many marriages work very well when people have completely different perspectives on things. You know, it's not the view. <laughs> it's whether or not you're caught in it and, it and entrenched in it that you want to see. And I mean, the, you know, the, as all good little Buddhist stories go, she's, she managed to save her marriage through that, this uh, kind of processing. So, in, you know, in more recent years, I, I don't have the arena. I don't live with my primary family. In fact, my home is a lot... Um, is a kind of a, my refuge. It's kind of a place I go to be quiet and still, and um, it's very much a semi-retreat uh, mode. But so what I do is I go to places like retreat centers and monasteries <laughs> to get knocked around a bit. <laughs> and, you know, those of you who live and, and work in these places, you know what I mean. You know, when you put yourself in a community, um, there's no telling the kinds of things that will come up. Uh, I can remember in the early years when I would go to the monasteries and people would say, oh, you're going to the monastery. Oh, <laughs> how wonderful. It must be so peaceful, how sweet and how great. And I, at first I would go, oh, yeah, because I was still in this romanticized view of it all, you know. Uh, but then after, uh, you know, many visits and many months, uh, living cheek by jowl with a bunch of people, yeah, you know, and getting knocked around, you know, I began to actually characterize my monastery visits as, um, you know, uh, I go to the monasteries to be cold, wet, tired, hungry, and aggravated. <laughs> and to practice with all of that. 
<laughs> and it's, it's an apt characterization, really. I mean, one time I even, I wrote to one of the abbots, um, a friend of mine, uh, one of the monasteries, and, and asked just kind of glibly, you know, how are things at the monastery? And uh, he wrote back and said, oh, they're great, dot, 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 until you put the monks and nuns in it. <laughs> and he's pointing to this point where we're, where we're stuck in ideas and views and we rub up against each other. And, you know, this has to get worked out. And, uh, you know, it's very, very helpful. One of the things about the monasteries and retreat centers is that there's a standard. It's a very high standard for living. And it's a standard that by its very nature is designed to lift you up into it, you know. A lot of the environments we find ourselves in pull you down (laughs) into coarser levels of existence, don't they? But the uh, environment, the monastic environment, I find, because the standard is kindness, the standard is uh, living together in harmony, then, um, you know, while you might have the impulse to act out or to lash out, uh, it, it's very unlikely that you would actually do that, although it does happen, certainly. But so one is instead looking at that arising in the heart and trying to, to get a handle on it and um, just, you know, trying to get along in the monasteries has been a great area for, uh, of practice uh, for me. And, and I can see that I'm learning about suffering and uh, how, to, how to put an end to suffering. And so one of the first trips, which was about 25 years ago, you know, by fortunately, I'm, I'm able to say things have moved a bit through the years, but uh, um, that one of these first trips was pretty, pretty uh, uh, much a rude awakening <laughs> to, to see what was in, in my own heart. Because I could get into arguments with people over, you know, how to cut the carrots, <laughs> you know, whether to mash the potatoes or roast them. You know, the English like them roasted, but I knew all the American monks and nuns would probably much rather have them mashed. And so, you know, you, you become an advocate <laughs> for your babies, you know, and you want to you cook things that they'll like. And meanwhile, in the kitchen, you know, where all the knives are, you know, you can get into <laughs> fights with people <laughs> over, over these silly things. Or, or how to fold towels, you know, yeah. How to, how to fold them and put them in the cupboard in the most uh, 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 systematic way. And the, the, I mean, these are true stories, you know. <laughs> and, and on Wednesday, I noticed that there was a, a woman um, there who was, um, she was, she was kind of inconsiderate. I mean, to be fair, I'm not sitting in judgment of some of her behaviors pretty objectively were inconsiderate. Like, you know, there were eight women that needed to use the bathroom in the morning, and most of us are rolling out of bed at 4.15 for the 4.30 sit, you know? <laughs> so you got, you got like a, if you're lucky, you've got two minutes each in the bathroom, and if you want to make it in time to the, to the sitting. But um, she would in, in, inevitably take, be in that bathroom for the whole time, you know? <laughs> and we're all sitting out there with our toothbrushes, you know, waiting to get in, and and he's like, you know, this kind of stuff building up in, in, in your heart or, or just an, a, a lack of awareness that, that this, you have, there's a public space you have to take care in monasteries because so many people are living in, you know, a few rooms and 
You just don't leave things laying around. And she would always leave things laying around, you know. So I, I would watch in my mind and how, um, you know, the, the thing is, we can tell each other these things. We can address these concerns, can't we? <laughs> but we, we tend not to do that. Uh, uh, at least until we learn how much we suffer by not doing it, you know. It's very easy to um, stand up to the plate and find a kind and gentle way to point these out to each other. And there's actually standards for that in the monastery as well. But I hadn't learned any of that yet. So I found myself um, just avoiding her or being um, unkind, chilly, you know? It's like walking up to the hall and not wanting to walk with her, you know? Or taking a walk in the forest with somebody and uh, finding a way to avoid inviting her, you know, that kind of thing. Just uh, basically forming a view about who she was based on these little things that I could have easily addressed. But I don't know about you, but I, I still do that at times, you know, it, it, it still gets away from me where you, you start to form that view. Now, that, may, that habit may endure for a long time. However, it is possible through um, practice, through being aware of, of this kind of activity of the mind, to see that forming and to um, not attach to it, to not be pulled into, the, into it, to not go with it. And uh, this, is, this has been a fabulous practice through the years, just to begin to see what does it feel like to be the kind of person who is... Um, characterizing somebody in a pejorative way and then relating to them through that characterization. You know, what does that feel like? Is that the kind of person you want to be, you know? And what does it feel like to be able to see that and to do whatever it takes, take that deep breath, you know, relax, settle down, find kindness, find a a compassionate, kind word, or at least... um, thought in the heart or mind to, to, to get us through the humps of these kinds of moments. And, and we can carry bad feelings towards each other for the most ridiculous reasons. Yeah? Maybe I'm the only one who does this, but <laughs> it's, a, it's quite amazing to, uh, to see. So if, if we pay attention, then o- over time, um, you begin to loosen up the grip on these kinds of views. And thank goodness, you know, it's, it's, it's too painful. Uh, you know, one, one doesn't want to uh, be caught in this way. You know, and I can find myself just having lingering little things, you know, where like a, I, I, I had made a practice for a while of just kind of yielding to somebody else's way of doing things. And that was great. It would be like, okay, just do it their way and shut up, you know, just do it their way. And, and, and yet, in the back of my mind, I could see this, yeah, but my way is still better, you know. <laughs> Catch that one, too, <laughs> you know. Uh, or, or forming a view about somebody, they, sh- they shouldn't be that way, you know. Uh, and, oh, I can accept you the way that you are, but you really shouldn't be that way, you know. That just catching the, the subtleties uh, of these kinds of attachments. So there's a, there's a, a, a very strong tendency 
in the mind and heart to form views about the way we are. And this is one of the most painful parts of my uh, work as a Dhamma teacher, really, is just witnessing uh, over and over again how hard people can be on themselves. You know, we think that there's a right way to be, and necessarily we're not being it. (laughs) So when we are the way that we actually are, then... um, it becomes a cause for a lot of self-loathing and self-criticism beating up on, on ourselves, doesn't it? You know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's this whole construct in the mind. We just created the right way to be, looked at the way we are, brought the two together, and then started beating up on the way we are. It's like, this is nuts. We just made up the right way to be, you know? <laughs> we just created that, and now we hate ourselves for not being it. It's like, you know... It, it's loony, isn't it? Totally. So, you know, a while back I, I was uh, watching how I would, I would become uh, frustrated because I just, I mean, it was a simple thing. It was taking me a long time to write an essay. And then this, it, it always takes you a long time. It starts running in the mind. You know, what's wrong with you? Why are you that way? Everybody else gets their essay in and uh, they, they can write it in a day. Why does it take you three or four days, five days? Yeah? And get out the whip, you know, and start beating up on myself for it. And, and, and you know, I fortunately, I, I caught myself doing it, you know, and it was, it was quite amazing to see the, the compounding, uh, the creating of suffering and the compounding of it that one is doing. And, uh, and waking up to it and just kind of getting it that like, Oh, it takes you a long time. (laughs) Oh, I get it. You're a little slower than some people. You know, the mind is probing. It'll get to the point, but it'll get there slowly. And so, you know, if one knows that about oneself, this is not something that's wrong. This is not something that needs to change, right? Whatever it is. And yet, uh, watch how the mind will make it wrong and, and beat up on ourselves because uh, we're not the way we think we should be. So, you know, successful practice really requires that we, we wake up to the way that we actually are. <laughs> that, to me, that's, that, that, that's what it's all about. It's turn and see the way that you are. And a number of years ago, my, my Dhamma buddy and I were really working with this in our practice. We talk to each other every couple of weeks for some 20 years now and um, looking at the pitfalls and snags in practice and trying to help each other through them. And uh, one of the, what we were seeing at this particular time is just noticing um, the pain that we were creating for ourselves by having ideas about the way that we ought to be. (laughs) And then smacking ourselves around when we weren't that way. And so we coined this mantra. We said, uh, and she did actually, and we used it quite, um, um, for quite a long time. Don't get caught up thinking how you should be. Turn and open to how you actually are. <laughs> and beginning to really realize that that's where all the action is. You know, it's not necessarily the case that the way we are is serving us, but if you're fighting it, then you're never going to feel what it feels like to be that way. And that's where the shift takes place. 
is from the direct experience of what it's like to be the way that we are. So, you know, as practitioners, we have to ask ourselves, um, you know, what are the areas where you're holding denigrating views about yourself? This is a very rich area of practice, and and one can work with it very deliberately. And when I've been working with this myself, and a number of years ago, it it occurred to me um, four questions spontaneously arose in my mind to help me to work with this. And, uh, and here's what they are. I pass them on to you because I found them very, very helpful. The first one, this came out of beating up on myself <laughs> for one thing or another. Who knows? I can't even remember what it was, but for being the way that I am. And suddenly it occurred to me, what if there isn't any right way to be? <laughs> and, and like that, the thought just totally stunned me, stopped me dead in my tracks. And, and I just started to contemplate my goodness, there's seven billion people on the planet. And everyone, we're like snowflakes. Everyone is different than the other. There's no two alike. Where did this mind get the idea that there's a right way to be? Yeah? But it does, doesn't it? It's in there rock-solid, and uh, doesn't get seen, let alone questioned. And that was followed by, what if the way you are is just fine? <laughs> what if the way you are is just fine? There's no, nothing wrong here. And what if all the self-criticism and self-loathing is just one of the ways that we compound suffering and dig ourselves further in? And finally, you know, what if the only problem here is that we think there's a problem here? <laughs> that we have a view and we're attaching to that. It's a very helpful contemplation so for me in my practice and perhaps for you as well if you work with it. So this kind of thing, uh, attaching to views, um, can play out big time in our practice. You know, one hears this a lot. You probably hear it in your own mind. You hear it from other meditators. Uh, I should be doing better. I should be getting this. I should be further along on the path. Yeah? What's wrong with me? Why is my practice not progressing? And and these things come into the mind and we believe these thoughts. (laughs) It's nuts, but we believe these kinds of thoughts. And, and, and in some twisted way, we actually think it's helpful to, to go down that road. And, and, uh, and this can get uh, worse if more subtle as the years go by, especially given the fact that you've, we've read all the right books, we've gone to all the right retreats, we've listened to all the right teachers. My goodness, we've spent a whole lot of money you know, to, to awaken this mind. <laughs> and and it, we should be doing better. It should be moving along. And, and it certainly gets uh, compounded if, if perchance you've had um, just these kind of uh, glimpses of Nibbana. You know, we've probably all had them in one way or another. Or maybe you drop into a few moments of a cessation experience. It's like, wow, it's, it's all, it all stopped, yeah? 
And then, and, and what we don't know on the heels of that is that you, know, you can practice for years before you recreate that kind of thing or before it happens again. You know, but if you have a view in the mind that it should be happening, it should be recreated, then, you know, we suffer a lot. And, and, and you enter into this way of practicing that creates a, a striving that is absolutely not helpful. You know, there's a quality of striving that is helpful, but this sense of trying to get someplace that we're not becomes something that we're not. Uh, this, is, this is not at all helpful. So you, you have to ask yourself, what, what does it really take to liberate the mind? <laughs> and in any way, will denigrating views about yourself help you do that? <laughs> Quite amazing. But this is the logic of the unawakened mind. <laughs> I know what I'll do, I'll beat up on myself. That'll help. <laughs> I'll worry. <laughs> That'll help. <laughs> Crazy. So some of the most painful experiences in our practice just come from this sense that there's a right way to be and we're not being it. There's a right thing to do and we're not doing it. And in practice, we really want to be able to catch those kinds of thoughts and see them as views. They're views. And, it, you know, if they're, and they're deadly if we attach to them and, and, and get born into them, believe them. You know, we want to be able to see attachment to sanya, the sanya khanda. Be able to see that view forming, see the attachment, and see it disappear, <laughs> see it move on through and hold it uh, all uh, in the present moment. And this may not sound like much, man, but it is powerful. It is very, very helpful. So just to take care, you know, when people, uh, when we hear things about views, um, you know, if you're like me, I know I certainly did this, uh, you, you start to think that the objective here is not to have any views. <laughs> well, good luck. <laughs> it, it's uh, it's virtually impossible uh, not to to. Uh, it's the way the mind works. It it forms views and ideas about things. Um, so that to, to to really be aware and clear that the forming forming of views is not the issue here. It's the not seeing them, and the uh, blindly attaching to them and uh, being born into them. That's the issue. So it's the ignorance of the view, not the view itself. So anyway, I hope some of this is, is helpful. You know, what I've been trying to look at uh, through the, the weeks that I'm here is just to uh, see our practice both on and on off the cushion and be able to, to recognize, uh, become attuned to what the mind is doing how the mind is, is behaving and um, noticing um, what, the, what attachment to that activity of the mind is, what it feels like and what it feels like to, to be released from that. Just to see the inner workings of our own minds. I mean, this is, I don't know about you, but this just boggles my mind to realize that 
this is what we're doing as meditators. We're, we're taking this laboratory of our own mind and looking at our own minds, using our own minds. <laughs> we're using perception, sanya kanda, to see uh, a perception, an attachment to perception. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a marvelous mechanism that, um, you know, is not uh, um, different than these reflections that we're encouraged to do from time to time that say, just to contemplate the the great good fortune of this human birth. You know, this human birth carries with it um, certain capacities. And uh, one of those capacities is this mind's ability to see itself <laughs> and to see what it's doing. And it's because of that capacity that we can see suffering and put an end to suffering. You know, it's, it's really just taking that and uh, putting it to good use, that capacity. You know, in the unawakened state, that capacity is almost entirely used up thinking about ourselves creating suffering and trying to get free of the suffering we just created. You know, and, and I think the objective here is to put that uh, function or that capacity to better use. So uh, meditators uh, report a, a, a much greater happiness as a result of, of being able to see the mo- how the mind operates and be able, being able to learn to relate to it with uh, less attachment, and uh, that's that's a uh, a promise, if you will, and uh, an experience that we can actually see very directly through the months and years of our own practice. You know, I often ask myself and ask you, are you not happier (laughs) for the time and the energy that you've put into all of this? You know, I'm sure you are. And uh, I guess the trick is to make sure you notice it (laughs) and take that to heart. So I offer you this for your reflection tonight. I hope it's helpful. So on the flip side of the refugee